Well, our scripture this morning is coming from the book of Genesis, chapter 1. We're going right back to the beginning. We're going to read verses 27 through 31 together, this account. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Father, as we, yeah, just take in your word, we just ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us your heart, your meaning, your truth, your understanding. We are yours, Lord. Amen. So, have you ever been given a gift that was worth more than you could imagine? The closest that my little imagination has come to this was being there for the birth of our children. Nothing is quite like the wonder of holding a newborn infant in your arms. Yeah. And then there's the amazing glimpses of God's creation with a stunning sunset or a a strong thunderstorm. These are things that we can't really explain, but when I experience them, my heart is filled with joy and wonder for a while. God gave our first parents the gift of life and the gift of stewardship. He gave Adam and Eve the whole earth and everything in it. He told them to rule over it within the boundaries of his rule over them. It was a gift with strings attached. But at this point in the relationship with God, before sin entered the world, our first parents didn't know enough to see any strings. In their innocence, they embraced the stewardship of the Lord with humble and submissive joy. Well, things have certainly changed since then, since those first days of creation. But God still calls us to be stewards of his earth, his creation. And although we don't live in a perfect world, we still have access to perfection through Jesus. Through Jesus... We have been redeemed, restored, justified, regenerated, sanctified to be the current stewards of God's green earth. So as the body of Christ here in northern Michigan, we hold the privilege and the responsibility of caring for everything that God has made until Jesus comes again. Today we're going to talk about that. How do we enter into God's gift of life and humble stewardship together? So, in our text today, we read that God created mankind, both male and female, in his own image, and he blessed them. 
<laughs> the wonder of that goes beyond my imagination. We're formed from the dust and brought to life by God's breath. How do you describe that kind of wonder? And because we're God's creation, made in his image, there is something of God himself inside of us, imprinted in our DNA. By God's design, both genders are walking, talking images of God. And in a perfect world, male and female are designed as a perfect complement to each other. Different from all the rest of creation, humans are God's stewards of all that he has made. So next in this passage, we read that these new human beings were commanded to fill the earth and subdue it. People were made by God to do his will in his creation. And this new couple was told to be fruitful and multiply, to increase in number and populate the earth. In addition, they were commanded to rule over or steward all the fish, birds, and land creatures that God has made. Did you catch the menu that God provided for his creation? Seed-bearing fruit trees and every green plant. If you like salad, this was a vegetarian paradise. Even the animals, right, ate plants. As a side note, God did not add meat to our diet until Genesis 9, when Noah and his family were sent out to repopulate the earth after the flood. That was also the beginning of when animals started to be afraid of humans. Until then, they, they lived together. In Genesis 9, 2, and 3, God speaks to Noah, saying, The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth, all the birds of the air, every creature that moves along the ground, and upon the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Right? That is after the flood. It sounds like animals didn't fear people before the flood because they hadn't been hunted or fished yet. So back to chapter 1. Adam and Eve are instructed to subdue the earth, to rule over the creatures and start a population explosion for everything. There's no mention of rebellion in their hearts yet. That doesn't happen until chapter 3. So it's implied in the text that they received this gift from God as humble stewards. And that gift included their lives, the breath of God in them, the bodies that they had been given, and a stewardship assignment. They had something to do. Picture with me what that would look like. Husband and wife walking in the garden together, talking about plans to manage the creation. Did the fish need to be schooled? Pun intended. Did the birds need to learn to fly in formation? Did they have to make sure that the animals were all getting enough to eat? I mean, how do you subdue and rule and manage perfection? So this need to rule over indicates that there was some degree of wildness in the creation that would need some boundaries. By God's design, the whole creation was in a development process that needed some authority to steward it. So what do you think? When they were walking with God in the garden, did he give them a daily do list? Did they just know what God wanted in their hearts? 
I have to think that their job was quite enjoyable until sin broke through and ruined it. Their sin became obvious with their new awareness of shame, and after a final meeting with God in the garden, they received an eviction notice from paradise. The low-hanging fruit was gone now. They had to struggle for their food. Imagine the shock that they felt when they had to work by the sweat of their brow for the first time. They were being introduced to the world as we currently know it, a world that struggles with this idea of humble stewardship. So here we are a few years later, still images of our living God, living as broken people in a broken world, but now, now we live with a faithful Savior. Now we can engage the world as already redeemed, but not yet fully transformed, still working out our salvation. As the Holy Spirit enters into our brokenness, we experience a transformation And it restores us to humble stewardship again. Because of Jesus, we can be both broken and whole at the same time. You know, humility, one of those things that we can't see in ourselves, because the moment that we notice it, we become proud and then we cease to be humble. Our humility becomes evident to others when we don't take ourselves too seriously. You may have noticed that we all tend to be pretty comfortable around people who can laugh at themselves. Humility is coming to accept that while my life really matters to God, it's not much about me. Scripture tells us that humility is the opposite of pride. I'll share three quick verses that explain that here. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5. The greatest, unum, the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, Matthew 23. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up, James 4. Now, I want to leave room for the argument there's also a good kind of pride, the pride that delights in your child's first steps and beams at a job well done to the glory of God. But obviously, there's also something in each of us that tends toward a sinful pride. So it's good to remind ourselves pretty often who owns everything. It's all a gift, a gift from God. So it seems pretty clear that if we're going to become more humble, we have to be more open to receiving whatever God has for us. You know, in my time at Friends Ministry... We talked a lot about being Christ-centered, which means that we were conscious of our natural human tendency to be self-centered. When one of us was having a bad day, there was a little phrase that we would share with each other from time to time. When somebody said, how you doing today? We'd say, well, my plan to ruin my life is working out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. It helped us to let go. Let God do the planning. Follow his plan for us. So when we willingly accept this gift of humility, we cease to be the center of our own lives. That stands out in our world today. That's different from much of the culture. It allows us to receive Jesus as the center of our daily lives and accepts his sovereignty, his rule 
over us. In humility, we accept our God-given responsibility to be stewards of God's gifts as he works his will through us. It's a submission thing. It's a blessing thing, just like it was at the beginning. I'm going to share a testimony with you that helped me learn some things about humility. Early in my time at Friends Ministry, I remember an experience where I was in the yard of a woman who called Friends Ministry, said, could you come and help me with my vegetable garden? And when I arrived at the house, I got out of the truck and I saw that the garage had caved right in and um, she couldn't use that garage anymore. I um, also saw that uh, there was some shredded black plastic laying on the ground and, and that there were a number of items, old appliances and, and things like that, that were laying around the yard. Yeah, so what did I do? I immediately started to plan in my own mind. Hmm. I'll get a, uh, a rototiller over here to take care of the garden. I'll get a, a dumpster to clean up some of this stuff in the yard. Um, and when the homeowner came out of the house, uh, a widowed woman in her 60s, I, I introduced myself and asked how we could help her. So good so far. She explained that she wanted a new piece of heavy black plastic to cover her garden area. Coming from my own garden experience, I offered to rototill the space to break the surface so the soil would be ready for planting. And while I was at it, I offered to send a team of workers to clean up her yard and tear down her collapsed garage. I will never forget the moment when she looked at me and said, did I ask you for a rototiller? Did I ask you to remove any items from my yard? I plant my garden through holes in the plastic which suppresses the weeds and allows the water to run off directly to my plants. I've been gardening with plastic for many years, but you didn't bother to ask me why I only wanted plastic. And the stuff in my yard might look like junk to you, but it's all valuable to me, so are you going to do as I asked you or not? She was in my face. I had a choice to make at that moment. I could lean on God for wisdom, or I could lean on my own understanding and get defensive. I prayed. And as the Holy Spirit took over, I heard myself apologizing to her for not listening very well and thoughtlessly jumping to conclusions. I agreed to bring her the plastic that she requested and then I drove away with a new awareness of my need for humility. God was looking for my obedience to love my neighbor and I gave him my well-meaning but immature human nature. The rebuke from this woman helped me to see my need for Jesus. I often look back at the experience as a good failure for me because I learned from it. You see, in my effort to help someone, I failed to love someone. I saw a problem to fix instead of a person to love. It was one of those heart-changing moments that lets a person see through new eyes. You know, a few years ago, I, I read a book called When Helping Hurts. Maybe some of you have read that. It's written by Steve Corbett and Brian Finkert, and um, the book introduced me to the idea of godly stewardship as a four-part relationship. 
including the work of another author, uh, Bryant Myers. These, these uh, authors explain that all people are relational because God is relational. Just as God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship, all of us are God, self, other people, and all creation, those four parts. Quoting Steve Corbett, these relationships are the building blocks for all of life. When they're functioning properly, humans experience the fullness of life that God intended because we are being what he created us to be. According to the Westminster Catechism, God created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Enjoy God forever. Great news for us, because our relationship with God links us to the other three relationships. We begin to see the inherent beauty, the value, the wonder of the image of God in ourselves and in all of those around us. When we're glorifying and enjoying God, people see an invisible something, something in us that the world cannot give them. Some have called this invisible thing in us transcendence. Tim Keller, in his book, The Making Sense of God, says that right now, um, I think this book came out in 2016, um, there is a group of Chinese social scientists that are adopting the Christian idea of transcendence as the basis of human rights and equality. Another respected philosopher, Habermas is his name, he has changed his position from being an atheist, and he's saying that secular reason and social science alone cannot account for what he calls the substance of a person. So Keller goes on to say, social science may be able to tell us what a human life is, but not what it ought to be. Only God can do that. Only our connection, our link, our relationship with him can do that. What is our life supposed to be? Whether you call it transcendence or the image of God in us, there is a growing awareness in our world that humans are connected to a supernatural source of creative power. We know that. The world is starting to pay attention. Every time someone catches you and I enjoying God, (laughs) I hope that they catch us enjoying God. (laughs) Every time that they do, they're receiving a dose of our contagious transcendence. There's something supernaturally powerful that shines through us as we reflect the glory of God. You're a walking billboard. What, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, people know. They know when they see God in us. And that shines through. So what kind of stewardship lets you really enjoy God? What do you do in your life that really reflects God's glory? People can't help but see it. Some of us experience the joy of God when we're doing something that really interests us, right? 
gardening, planting, cooking, walking, fishing, singing. Maybe it's just talking to a friend. Maybe it's being alone for a while. If God gave us a gift of stewardship, then he also gave us something to steward. What is it? How do you do it? You can have more than one interest, but the joy of your work glorifies God. You know, one of my stewardship interests is composting. I just love watching carbon and nitrogen and air and water become rich soil nutrients for growing plants. I don't really love growing plants that much, but I love working with the soil. When a six-by-six-by-four pile of leaves and grass clippings get mixed together in just the right combination and it heats up to 140 degrees, it kills most of the weed seed. Call me weird, but when that pile cools off and the worms and the other organisms take over to finish the process, I'm really enjoying God. Part of stewardship. So my friends, when you look in the mirror and have a good chuckle, remember that it's the gift of humility at work. We need to have some more conversations about that. We need some more testimonies with each other about how God is using us in his work. Our joy in that tends to increase as we encourage each other by love and good deeds. Are we going to have some bad days? You bet. Are we going to make some foolish choices still? Yep. God's plan for us is bigger than all of that. Our relationship with God ensures that his mercies are new every morning. You don't got to carry that with you day after day, whatever that bad day looked like. We're always receiving his gifts for us. So we are still humble stewards of God, glorifying him, enjoying him forever. That's where our humility comes from. That's where our ability to respect and honor and love comes from. It's where our willingness and desire to steward the earth comes from. And we have what the non-Christian world is missing, a transcendent relationship with God. Let's share it. Join me in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you for your indescribable gifts here of life on earth and life forever with you. Jesus, we want to thank you for restoring our supernatural connection with the Father through your death and resurrection. And Holy Spirit, thank you for living in us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for comforting and convicting and shining through our brokenness to the glory of God. Amen.